welcome to Estradile Illusions, episode, probably episode 11, if the editing and release schedule track holds true. Figuring out the episode order for this has been chaotic to say the least, but I'm super excited to have such a great guest to talk about the Panasonic 3DO, a system that, if you're more of a general interest listener, you're probably thinking to yourself, what's that? But uh, it was a really fun system in the early 90s, and... A great guest, Rachel Presser, who's here to talk about it. Uh, Rachel, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, so thanks for having me on. Yes, I'm Rachel Presser of Sonic Toad Media. You may know me better as the Toad Lady if you spend an inordinate amount of time on Twitter <laughs> like I do. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I'm a game dev, um, mostly in the narrative side of things. Um, also, yeah, writer, business consultant um, for the indie game developer sphere, primarily do game marketing too <laughs> so a little bit of a everything digital media and yeah, so unlike a lot of my peers i actually did not grow up like in a console household really until we got a, a 3do and like it was 1995 i believe yeah because that was when you could go to go to like discount stores and pick one up for 20 bucks <laughs> after they tried to roll it out for like 700 dollars a year before the, yeah, the 3DO is a console in terms of not just the games that were made for it, but like a, just the whole story of the 3DO is kind of a fascinating chapter in video game history, if you really think about it. If you look at and the the fourth and the fifth generation of gaming, the fourth being the one that's commonly associated with the Super Nintendo, the Genesis, and uh, those, and then the fifth generation, which has the uh, Nintendo 64, the Saturn, and the um, PlayStation 1 as sort of the big ones. Um, the 3DO kind of straddled the line between the two of them, being uh, it was originally released in 1993, and it was at the time very state-of-the-art. It had um, the 3D graphics were really, I mean, they look kind of uh, especially dated now, just kind of given all of the uh, expansive technology that happened later, but... Boy, I mean, you look at you look at the the context of the the stuff they were doing in 1993, and it's just it's really wild. Oh yeah, 1993 was definitely it was definitely a you know, a, a real major I think like turning point for you know, for a lot of games because that was when you had a lot of like what are now considered these like you know legendary like golden age titles that had just come out. Um, not just for like the you know for like the whole like. NES, SDS library, but also for Mac and PC as well. And so I, that's the thing. I grew up in a Mac household, so I had a very, like, more or less, like, punk rock approach to a lot of games because I grew up with uh, with those uh, shareware discs. You know, that was uh, long before the term indie developer was really a lexicon, um, in our lexicon yet. Um, it was a very different time. And... Um, because so like you know like these days you know there's so much you know, panic about the indie apocalypse about oh there's too many games out now oh you know, the barriers to entry to making a game are just like so so much lower than they were back in that point of the 90s so at the time especially if you you know had a Mac at home you were dying to have content for it like it just you know wasn't really um, as ubiquitous as it is today. Um, with that said, the 3DO definitely marks like an interesting um, part of the part of the console wars in this context, because 
that was when you also had like um, other major electronics companies starting yeah. to enter the whole space. When I mean, like, like, coming from someone who said who you know played on computers, like it just seemed like a nat- like, oh, just like a, like a natural like next step to me because you know, hey, you know, you had Apple, you know, making Macs, you had no you know PC manufacturers like Microsoft, you know, leading the charge there, and then tons of different makers for those comp- for those devices. Um so it just seemed like a natural evolution that of other major electronics makers that were not specifically in the gaming space were going to rise up next. Like so I mean, most people will have seen this like on the angry video game nerd or some other like <laughs> retro gaming shows. But there was also the Philips CDI. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that one I don't remember having. That yeah, I did not see until the nerd covered it on his show. That one I don't remember actually seeing in a store or hearing about it or anything. Um, but I just remember that. Well, my family was very fond of going to this this to this one like discount store in central jersey like it was like my mother's pilgrimage almost every weekend and i just remember like going in there once and there were just like wall to wall this entire display of 3do consoles wow (laughs) so that's how we ended up with one my dad is all like oh my god they're only 20 dollars we should we should get one and i'm like Oh, great. You know, like having a super Nintendo like, would have been nice, but all right. I guess we're taking this thing home. Well, you know what? Looking back, though, as an adult, I mean, look, I'm not going to knock trips to the store. That was how I got into Morbid Angel and Napalm Death because I found like some, I found some earache records comp there for like $5. This was before we had the internet and everything. <laughs> and so. And hey, I had I had um off-brand Turkish Barbie for that place growing up too. Um, yeah, this explains a lot about how I turned out as an adult. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the uh, I've, in re- reading a lot about the 3DO, I've found that there are a lot of stories of people who are bitter to this day about having bought a 3DO either at the initial seven hundred dollar launch price, and, mm. and this is nineteen ninety three, so that's like over a thousand dollars in uh, inflation. But today's money, yeah. And they, I mean, I'm glad that you got one at at the. You know, it it did sell. Uh, it sold about two million units, which puts it on par with the Sega CD add-on that we've talked about on this show, but. Uh, I tend to view the Sega CD as it's probably its closest competitor because they had a ton of games that were uh, available for both systems. Whereas the 3DO, most of the good 3DO titles, when it uh, when Panasonic closed up shop in sort of toward the end of '96, were ported over to the PlayStation One or the Sega Saturn. But kind of at that point, it was such a weird. It, it exists in such a pivotal era. I mean, a pivotal year that. As as impressive as the technology was in '93, it would have been totally revolutionary two years later. I mean, it's hard to think, especially with console lifespans nowadays. Oh yeah, well, just thinking about how, um, like, it's like I know I've written about this before. Like, shameless plug. I'm also the content producer over at Game with Your Brain. I've talked about this numerous times on the site, actually, about how yeah, I grew up in a Mac household. It was often difficult to find games for it and so that was why 
I had such an appreciation for well, what we now call indie developers, what was called shareware back then. Um, because, well, I just had such appreciation for it because we couldn't find like a lot of mainstream titles, um, you know, meant, meant for these computers. Like, you know, like the default mode was basically, oh, it's going to work. It's going to run on DOS, just like how the default for console games was. It's going to run on, you know, on a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis by yep. the time, by the time I was, you know, getting, interested in playing games you know on other platforms aside from my mac at home and with that said i remember though just like yeah going to like electronics boutique with my dad trying to find games for this thing and it was just like how we had trouble finding mac games it was really hard by 1995 to find a lot of 3do titles in places yeah and so you guessed it it was those same crap stores we always went to that were more likely <laughs> to have something like laying in the bargain bin because at the top yeah, because at that point nobody wanted like to get anything for the 3do like by the time 1995 rolled around like i don't, i mean i don't remember if any new games had come out for it by then but yeah but by 95 96 like i think that the whole furor had like come to a screeching halt for the most part they had uh, they put out games in 95 and 96, but at that point, I think the writing was on the wall. And the funny thing yeah. about about the games is when I bought mine used, it came with a couple. First off, they come. I don't the uh, 3DO does this and the Saturn does this. They come in these ridiculously big cases versus like, you know, yes. what, what the hell's wrong with, a, <laughs> you know, basic CD case. Uh, easy to store. But they had they had the price tags on them and they were retailing for $69 which is absurd oh, i yeah. remember well that, that's so much that's how much games just cost back then yeah um, oh no no like, like that's the thing so like a lot of those like old you know like sierra and lucasarts adventures that you know like they have they hold a special place in our hearts like they're you know but they're still like compared to all the games being put out by larger studios today they're a lot shorter they're a lot more linear like they're st- i mean said so they, they still they're still good games, you know, like they still, even if some of them, especially the Sierra games, you know, have a shit ton of design flaws. Um, they were, st- you know, it was just still like a, a very different time. You know, there weren't as many games out. Um, internet and gaming culture just wasn't really a thing yet. Like, oh, please, like, I, like, like, like these days, you know, like these days, you know, you can just like walk into like any place that has young people and like they will be talking about some game or another back then i remember getting my ass kicked talking about the stuff i remember you know getting like weird looks when i um you know would talk about wanting to play space quest on the weekend instead of going to the mall like other girls (laughs) and i just remember yeah there was just you know no um there was no way to really talk about this stuff you kind of had to keep it very cook and tacker for the most part and so it feels like kind of crazy to me sometimes now that it's you know, become such a major part of how I make a living these days. But with that, with all that said, yeah, it was, um, you know, relative like to what we have you know, these days where you have, you know, so many more games coming out. And then you have, you know, the AAA studios putting out these massive productions that cost more than a lot of Hollywood films, you know, to make. And but yeah, but back back then though, it was still a very new field that was you know constantly being pioneered every day by different developers, both in the console space and in the 
and, and, and in the PC and Mac gaming space as well. I mean, please, like a game, a game like King's Quest Six would have been, I think, like fifty bucks back then too. Um, oh yeah, and so these three and these three DO games were also yeah. So it was so it was pretty commonplace for a game to you know to cost like anywhere from like maybe like twenty five to thirty dollars on the low end for a small game or for or what a shareware developer would charge. Whereas it was completely common, you know, for a larger game to be anywhere in the uppers of like. 40 to 60 bucks and then these days you know game pricing is a whole other business of games discussion i could have completely if you're if you're a developer though and you're interested in that i would highly recommend checking out um one of my max shareware heroes from the 90s uh jeff vogel of spiderweb software it's an older post but it still really holds up he has uh he had this great post up um on his website from a while back yet explaining like why he was like permanently reducing a lot of the prices on across like platforms like steam and so forth. And, you know, had a really good talk about like why, Oh, Hey, this is why, you know, like like in, in 2015 dollars, this is why a very big grindy, you know, spiderweb RPG is going to cost you 25 bucks. And you think that's a lot of money compared to like getting something for a dollar on the app store, and yeah, yeah, no, got he really got into a lot of good stuff there. But anyway, back to the 3DO and why those games cost um, you know so much to buy. There was just so much you know happening. Yeah, in like the early '90s, um, like harkening back to my Sierra example, Sierra is actually a very good company to bring up in this context because they tried you know so many different things. Um, you know, thinking about not just in terms of development, but also in terms of how they try to like basically get, you know, their games onto all these different platforms. Like, I think there has to be at least six different versions of King's Quest V because they also tried to put the game, I think, on the on the NES, not not SNES. No, no, they actually tried to put it on the NES, I believe. Um, yeah, try playing that game full of dead ends. With an NES controller, that's got to be a trip. <laughs> I like playing the Nintendo a lot, but uh, typically the more, I guess, arcade. I, I typically associate Sega more with arcade-style games, but uh, NES, I, it's one of the few systems I don't have on the West Coast because I'm still angry that HDTVs don't use like guns, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, yeah. for, the, for the 3DO, it... It's funny how few, I mean, as much as people talk about the console war between Sega and Nintendo, there were a fair amount, maybe not as many as there are with uh, Xbox and PlayStation, but there were a fair amount of crossover, whereas with the 3DO, I think um, Street Fighter 2 and... Wolfenstein. Yeah, that... I remember having Wolfenstein on 3DO. That was the first time I had seen it. Uh, yeah, I remember having you know Wolfenstein. That's a wild. Uh, that's a wild game. I mean, it's as people hold the. I love uh, Doom. The version I have on that for the yeah. 32x is my favorite. But Wolfenstein, you you put them side by side. I mean, you could Wolfenstein might be a better game. Yeah. I don't know. That's a that's a it's a big toss up. But uh, well, there's the whole the whole punching Nazis thing that always makes it better. Uh, yeah, especially Switch, the. Especially in this modern context, well, more than anything. Um. 
Yeah, the uh, <laughs> Switch version that came out, uh, Wolfenstein 2, I think, uh, a couple months ago. That was pretty big. Uh, the big, the big Tenda crossover that the 3DO had with the Sega CD, though, existed in the realm of full motion video, FMV. Which, oh, yeah. Which uh, I know. Yeah, I was I was about to uh, yeah bring that up, um, just talking about Sierra, because, oh, yeah, because Sierra was also a very big pioneer with bringing, you know, full motion video into games. Because um, I, um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, I guess, like, thinking about, you know, in King's Quest V, you know, for instance, that was when it was this very new concept to start putting computer games on a CD-ROM. And so they're all, oh, wait a minute, you know, we have all this extra disk space, but we don't want to make, you know, like the actual game size, you know, significantly larger. But how can we do more with all the space now that we don't have that, you know, that like white castle sack full of floppy disks that weighs the whole box down because this person, you know, because the player's going to have to put in like 12 disks at a time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I remember. I remember. Yeah, but it took patience to install a, install a game. You had the you had that White Castle sack of floppy disks that came in every box, and you had to. Yeah, it was a process. It's funny that CD is um you know was seen as such an improvement over cartridge at the time because N sixty four highlighted. I mean they they did they kept on cartridge for piracy reasons, but. The Neo Geo, which was the one system that was basically, you know, we talk about $70 being exorbitant price tags. For the Neo Geo, the cartridge-based yeah. system, you would basically need to shell out 150 to $200 for those cartridges. And, of course, they've all at least held their value. Some of them cost a couple thousand. I have a Neo Geo CD, but uh, well. <laughs> the uh, I, you, you need to, like, take out a mortgage on everything you own to pay for a Neo Geo one. But when it comes to the FMV, it stuff like that really puts the notion of state of the art in context because, I mean, that's kind of a term. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said, yeah, so I was just you know, using King's Quest V as an example. So because there was this very novel concept to have all the space on a CD, they're all, well, hey, why don't we add another dimension, you know, to these characters and have them voice acted. And so and so it was mostly Sierra employees that were providing all the voice work in you know in King's Quest V. And it's led to it's led to this very mimetic thing that still lives on today with a poisonous snake and and whatnot. And so, oh yeah, it's um so that still lives on, but it was still also a good example, you know, of how game making evolved from that because Cup King's Quest Six, you you now um, which came out in ninety two, you now had like a, like a like a professional voice cast you know, who've like you know, bit, you know yeah like these actors have been like you know in film and TV and whatnot like in Gabriel Knight which uh, the first game came out in ninety three yeah that yeah that game had um <clears throat> yeah Tim Curry as Gabriel yeah. Knight you know you know um, Leia Remini as as Grace um. Oh yeah, no, no. You had like a lot of like pretty well-known actors, you know, taking up these roles. Like I think, yeah, like Stu Rosen did the voice direction on that game. So that's like a you know, huge jump, you know, going from oh hey, like as the meme went, let's get Chad from the mailroom to go to the voice on this too. You know, yeah, they got these professional actors to do the voice work, and so 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 then basically like the next 
step of the evolution was to put actual video into into the games, hence the term video games with all hey, well, let's actually make it up to the name. Let's go put full motion video in this. And so Sierra and other developers just like, you know, they would spend like literally millions of dollars, you know, get, basically putting together like these practical film sets or sound stages um, and green, you know, just like, it was just basically like, I think like Phantasmagoria was, um, that came out in 95, I believe. If not 94, it was 95. Um, yeah, so that was, you know, the, yeah, this like enormous feat where we can laugh about the game now. I mean, yeah, it does seem like just a very cheesy, like interactive horror movie, like by today's standards. And, um, like I can definitely go you know, see like why, people have like some of the reactions that we've had to it, which is, yeah, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on that game myself, but basically, yeah, like that, like that game was, it was like shot entirely in front of a green screen. And then they just had, you know, these, um, render backgrounds made for the characters to walk on. Wow. And so, yeah, so that's the thing. So while the final result, maybe something that we kind of laugh at these days, um, Along with some of the other, you know, full motion video titles that came out around the same era, like, like thinking about, um, like Night Trap, for instance, like that was uh, one yeah. I didn't see till I was a lot older, but that got included in the congressional hearings on video game that violence. Yes. That was, I think that, that was actually, I think, how that game, like, got famous, honestly, because, yeah, only like a lot of, um, you know, yeah, like us video game geeks who, live for the stuff like even like really knew about that game um to go for a lot of other games that came out around the same time but then night trap is just oh please it's 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 just it's it's pure cheese come on it, it totally is like that i don't know like why they included that game in the hearings because it just it wasn't even yeah you, you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, the Night Trap, I have the Sega CD version. It's so hilarious to think that, I mean, that game and Mortal Kombat were really the two that were held up on the pedestal of the ones that the, the, all of the Congress people were going after. Joe Lieberman of Connecticut in particular. Yes. And a lot of other, um, but, Especially like like Mortal Kombat, especially the Genesis version had all the blood. And yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're you're if you're looking at your kid bashing people with that, I mean, okay, maybe somebody is concerned. You look at Night Trap, which is absurdly it's like it's like if you want to it's like the scary movie version of like gore from like something like uh, I know what you did last summer. It's ridiculous. It's like a trauma movie. You know, like you know like the Tromaville yeah. movies like it's just like Okay, maybe not quite that over the top, but it's over the top enough that, yeah, it didn't deserve, like, the flat for Congress that it got 25 years ago. Because <laughs> um, as, as for a full motion video game that I think actually maybe, like, deserves something, especially given the context of who else was behind it. In fact, I think that I, I think it's up on Waypoint. It may be on a different site, but... Someone actually wrote a fantastic essay about this, um, about the fourth Police Quest game, how that was, um, <clears throat> you know, that because that had Daryl Gates involved, and that actually had extremely, like, realistic violence, some pretty, like, disturbing scenes in it. Um, 
that I think would be like more likely to upset somebody than like yeah the pure like cheesiness that was Night Trap um or even like thinking about like Phantasmagoria where that that also I think actually that, that did have some like genuinely disturbing scenes then some of it that was just like yeah like more like a really like you know a really campy horror movie like yeah like something that like like Kaufman would put together um yeah it um the one that really gets me as you know why did they pick Night Trap over this is uh Neurodancer mm. which is a full motion video that's it's it, it, I, I think it I don't know if it is officially classified as sort of um, adults only, but it is it's it's basically soft. It pretty much is softcore porn. And oh, yeah, that interspliced. With- well, there, well, that was why we got the uh, the ESRB. It came from those congressional hearings. They're like, OK, well, well, since like you don't have, you know, like, like the MPAA to rate you like they do for movies well then fine with the creation of the ESRB will drop this whole silly hearing and go on with our lives. And that was actually, yeah, how we ended up with um, a ratings board. And at the time, getting an AO rating was basically retail suicide. I mean, there were a couple AO games yeah, for different consoles. Um, Pushing Up Roses, um, the YouTuber, actually, she actually did um, a pretty cool series on some um, AO rated games that came out in the mid 90s like that starred some like adult actresses that like it actually like, were much better games than a lot of stuff we had that was more accessible but since um but since you had to rely on retail back then um oh yeah getting an AO rating was basically retail suicide we still have some difficulties getting adult content out today but that is a that could be a whole other episode to dive into. Because oh, I was actually going to seg you that into some of the full motion video games for the 3DO. Um, oh, sure. uh, because, like I mentioned, so it was just a natural evolution, um, you know, between both, like, you know, just to seg you all that into, um, you know, full motion video games for 3DO. Um, yeah, so it was just, yeah, this natural evolution that, yeah, you had, like, these, like, four, you know, these forerunners, like, you know, like Sierra you know, making um, all these major investments in their development technology. And then they're going from, you know, these like 2D VGA graphic games um, that have, oh, like we got some of our employees to do the voice work. Then it's, oh, hey, look, we made an even prettier sequel that's got professional voice acting. And then Gabriel Knight was a notable series because it it had like three completely different styles for um, each entry in, in the series. And that you know, the first one, yeah, was like that classic Golden Age Sierra style with VGA graphics and this, yeah, very top-notch professional acting. I mean, Tim Curry as Gabriel Knight is freaking unforgettable. <laughs> um, but then the second game, though, that was like, wow. I mean, I think, I mean, that game I think is even like way bigger than Phantasmagoria was. Like that, um, the the second, yeah, Gabriel Knight Two Beast Within was entirely in full motion video, and that was. Partly on soundstage and partly, I think, recorded on location in Munich. And um, I forget like how many were, how many CDs came in that box, but it was so freaking many of them. Like, yo, know, that game is. I, I think I think it still is one of like the longest games ever ever made. Um, 
I don't know, maybe like The Last of Us like probably outpaces it by now, but for the 90s, it was definitely one of like the largest games ever put out um, at the time. And then the third game was entirely in like that hideous isometric 3D that was very popular in the late 90s when the industry was still teething on things, more or less. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, so you got you know, Sierra doing all that. You know, other studios are also, like, you know, making these massive investments in um, full motion video technology, thinking it's going to be, like, the, you know, this, like, huge new thing. But the final result is something that, like, yeah, that, like, 20, 25 years later, where, yeah, a lot of people are just, like, laughing at it, calling it a product of its time. Um, I think only, like, uh, like Tex Murphy um, is, like, one of the few, like, full-motion video series that I think, like, actually um, still holds up, like, you know, according to a lot of game historians. Like, yeah, because a lot of them, we either, like, laugh at it or just be like, wow, like, these full-motion video, just a bunch of stills or, like, this video quality really sucks. Like, it wasn't quite there yet. I mean, because, like, I think, like, nowadays you could do a full-motion video game easily. I mean, that's basically what her story is. And you could do it for... Yeah, so you, you could do it for, like, a yeah, fraction of the price and have that. way better quality than we had in 1995. And so 3DO was another, um, yeah, like, console that was trying to basically... I said, because at the time, yeah, you had, like, Sierra spending, like, millions to make games like Phantasmagoria and the second Gabriel Knight title. Um, po- um, yeah, Police Quest Four, um, Open Season. Like, all those were, like, these gigantic, expensive productions that um, took advantage of using full-motion video. But that, so with that in mind, that's exactly, like, what 3DO is trying to do. They're basically like, okay, well, we're, you know, we're a top-of-the-line console we're gonna go take advantage of all of this you know really like cutting edge technology and just make these games that like it's not the emphasis is not you know on like on pixel art or like oh like vga versus you know svga style graphics they basically flew too close to the sun with that whole plan and uh, yeah so i'm just thinking of some of like the games that i had back then that were utilizing full motion video now, and so, now to be totally fair, I mean, like, no, some of them were still, like, pretty good games, you know, especially for what they were. Um, like, I remember having, like, these two, like, action games that had a little bit of, like, cinematic aspect to them. One of them was, like, kind of in the vein of Police Quest. It was a game about running a SWAT team. And then there was uh, um, the Western, uh, Mad Dog McCree. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Those those games, I mean, like, no, I mean, they're actually, like, pretty, they're still pretty good games, like, at the heart of it. I, I just remember having to set up, um, like, the gun controller for the 3DO. You always had to, like, calibrate it on your TV um, a certain way before you began the game. And so, yeah, and, they, they, and it was pretty, pretty easy, you know, just, like, to use, um, yeah, the gun control on the TV. And it was, you know, it was just pretty straightforward um, to do. Uh, whereas... I remember, like, using the actual keypad was a lot more difficult. It was, like, it, you guys, I mean, I remember you could hook them up to play, um, yeah, these are, these are more, like, reflex-based, like, shooting kind of games, but it was a lot harder to do. You basically, in the, in the more difficult levels, like, you would die in two seconds because there was no way you could get um, the target, you know, over to 
the person shooting you enough time. But then there were also, they were trying to get in on the whole party game deal, which, like I said, I think that this kind of fell flat because um, there often like weren't enough um, controllers included with the system to really do this. Um, we're like in the... And they were... Yeah. They were daisy chained also. They the weirdest the weirdest setup of any home game system I think ever. You didn't plug I guess there was at least one or two 3DO games that you could essentially have unlimited players, but instead of having like four or two controller jacks, you had one and if you wanted to plug in another player, you had to plug it in straight to the controller, which was uh very I mean, as a as a developer, uh, obviously, you probably uh, that that technology is probably not viewed as uh, very successful because it hasn't been repeated. No, <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, so it uh, because I focus because like well, like for me specifically, I focus more on like you know, so like well, I'm independent, so I do like single player you know narrative heavy experiences like i don't i honestly don't like really have like the kind of context for console development i was never like in that environment um i've always i've always been single player <laughs> always been single player um yeah. but no but there's something yeah like some things that we just don't repeat some of these mistakes from history um mainly one of them being like when you have this you know technology that just seems like it's gonna Oh, be the next big thing, and then it winds up completely peering out. Um, like I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what would be like an apt analogy. I was, oh, I was kind of going to compare like what's happened, um, like in mobile games actually to like what kind of happened with the three O. It's not. It, I mean, like I said, it's not like an entirely one to one analogy because um, mobile gaming is obviously still pretty big but i think i think it's honestly come into its own in a sense um just thinking about like where it was four or five years ago like i remember you know yeah being at gdc in 2015 and just being completely like bombarded with all these flyers for um you know all these different like user acquisition services like oh get get more traction you know for your mobile game like oh this you know like this that and the other i had a question about um FMV, I know the budget, the the sets would have been obviously pretty expensive as any production is. Hmm. Do they, um, I, I don't know how answerable a question it is, but like a standard uh, RPG or a platformer, uh, an FMV game at the time, would that have been way more expensive um, or comparable? I just, I mean, well, basically like. It, the more that you have to film, like, yeah, like, the more you had to get, you know, the actors, you know, in front of the cameras, you know, to do different poses. Like, I'm thinking, okay, like, someone, like, swinging, like, a weapon or, like, picking up an object or if there's a specific, like, like uh, yep. you know, like, battle scene that would play out between, like, you know, this this one character versus, like, this monster or this other character. Like, the more that you have, I mean, yeah, like, the more screen time you're going to have, the more expensive, you know, production would amp up, especially... If you also, yeah, had to get, you know, like different like wardrobe changes and everything else, because, yeah, because we're starting to straddle, you know, film and video games here. Um, yeah, plus you have to build the game also. That too. I mean, it's not. <laughs> Which is like, not a cheap yeah. or easy endeavor. It never is. Except for like, yeah, except for like uh, plumbers don't wear ties, oh pretty God. much all of them. Uh, okay, I have 
commentary on that. Um, <laughs> well, because I'm thinking about like these trivia games I recall from the 3D era, which I remember, yeah, playing them with my dad after we found them for like ten dollars, like odd job or whatever. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Wow, I remember odd job. That was where we got our 3DO. <laughs> My mom. I got a lot of cheap Game Gear stuff there. I remember the old uh, the Sega one that ate all the batteries. Yeah, that, that, that was where we got our three D O. I just remember this entire like wall to wall display of three D O. I said, well, like I said, I look. I, I grew up on the crap from Odd Job. Like it was like my mother's like second. Home. A great it was my mother's like second home practically. Like God, I remember like always having like some garbage from odd job growing up but there was a lot of treasure among that garbage i mean like i said i remember yeah. that was how i discovered morbid angel because that'll be my <laughs> my mom was none too wiser to what that like four dollars cd i picked up was <laughs> my mom will be so happy that th- this will be the first thing that i told her about this episode that odd job was <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, yeah, so I just remember, yeah, like, that was, like, the one place we could find 3DO games, because God knows we couldn't find them in a real uh, game store, like, electronics boutique. Even, like, a JNR, like, you know, um, well, it's, I forget, JNR closed, like, in recent years, but that was, like, a massive, like, destination store. Gone and missed. I remember spending a lot of uh, weekends down there, like, visiting my grandma in Southbridge Towers, and then... My dad and I, yeah, would go check out, like, yeah, the latest games and stuff at JNR. Then, as an adult, I got, yeah, a lot of things I needed when I was still in school. Then, in starting my different gaming businesses, yeah, gone and missed. It was a good place. Um, but yeah, uh, I just remember though how difficult it was uh, trying to find three GO games. Yeah, even like, like a mega store like JNR, it was difficult to find stuff. So, uh, with that said. I remember these like two different trivia games that um, were in full full motion video or rather a combination of 2D um, and full motion video, um, which is it's pretty interesting looking at it from a development perspective um, nowadays. But when I played these games back then, it was a little wild. You had to see like real people uh, you know, on the screen and be able to control them to an extent. Um, where like, tw- was like twisted was like, I think like a more, um, yeah, like I tried to be, try to be like a quirky, but still like family friendly, uh, yeah, like quiz show kind of game, let, let, like a family yeah. feud or like a wheel of fortune kind of thing. Um, yeah, like where like you moved, um, you moved like your, the character that you played across the board and they did, they would do these, like, these like amusing things, like depending on how you answer the questions, and, um, yeah, there was mostly, yeah, these, like, this, uh, trivia, um, kind of stuff. Um, and then, but then there was one, um, it was, like, Vladnos the People's Party, where this, fi- where it was basically a very, like, Cold War-themed game, where, um, the whole premise is that this Vladnos is, like, hosting, like, this whole, um, trivia runoff, where you play as, like, what, as, like, one of a group of characters, trying to leave this uh, this fictional communist state that just fell, and now you're going to get to go to America if you make enough money playing the game. And <clears throat> and then there would just be these, like, commercials and these, like, in, these, um, like interstitial um, 
like like movie sequences that it was like a very like satirical kind of thing, a lot like Weird Al Yankovic's UHF or um like Kentucky Fried Movie, Amazon Women on the Moon. That's oh, all the yeah. stuff I grew up with. Um, that's where I get a lot of like my more absurdist sense of humor from. Uh, yeah, that that describes FMV in kind of an yeah. absurd absurdism. Mad Dog McCree in particular. I mean, you gotta oh, totally. buy into you gotta buy into the seriousness <laughs> of that western. Um, to, yeah, but story, yeah, these these trivia games <laughs> were very like kind of out there. Um, Twisted is kind of like. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. you can't really draw a direct parallel to Mario Party or whatnot, but if yeah. you look at what the 3DO was trying to do with family multiplayer, mm-hmm. that's a, yeah, that's a concept that Nintendo perfected it with, with the N64, which, I mean, I was, I was in college, uh, when, with a lot of people who obviously grew up with that, but I mean, every dorm room had an N64. I mean, that, Still, still to this day, I mean, newer, newer systems, the PS4 doesn't care at all about local two-player. I thought the Wii U was actually pretty good with that, but, I mean, the 3DO, you can see that, you know, Nintendo, well, the, the big problem with the 3DO was that, uh, in terms of FMV and early 3D and all of that, it decided to be the first, which meant that everybody else got to learn from it. Yeah, which is, I think, a really good way of putting it. Um, yeah, well, absolutely. Um, because it, yeah, so it's one of the main reasons like why it just you know couldn't like survive on its own back then was not just because like a lot of people either like they hadn't heard of it or they're just like oh like like why am I gonna spend you know seven hundred dollars you know on this thing when like like Nintendo or Sega you know is a much more like trustworthy brand basically like like I hate to put it that way but it, but it's true um and especially since you know like back especially back in, like, in 1995, 1996, thereabouts. But yeah, like, the internet is in its early stages, but it's not, you know, like, what it is today. It's not It's not as ubiquitous, uh, you know, as it's going to become about right. a decade later, where, oh, yeah, like there's, tons, like, there's tons of online stores that are entirely devoted, you know, to selling video games. Um, not just, you know, for, like, not, not just, like, the distributors like Steam and... Um, GOG and whatnot, but in terms of like actual you know, retailers that sell, you know, like like new and used, you know, co- you know console games, like it hasn't yeah. you know like reached that point yet. Like you have to, you still have to basically get up and go to a store. And like I said, it was so difficult to find like anything at all for the 3DO, like, going to, like, I said, even, like, a mega store like JNR compared to, say, like, your average electronics boutique, um, oh, no, like, I, everything, I remember, like, everything in there at that point was pretty much, yeah, all for Nintendo and Sega, like, there was not a whole, I, mean, I remember, yeah, like, a whole calendar of, like, all the handheld stuff, like, yeah, like, Game Boy, Game Boy Color games, but there was pretty much, like, nothing for the 3DO, it just wasn't really, you know, like, it was more of a niche than, like, something that you would see very often. Yeah. And then I remember, yeah, like, trying to talk about it at school, and, like, nobody knew what it was. Like, no one had any idea what I was talking about. And uh, so, whereas, like, nowadays, yeah, whereas, like, I think that, like, yeah, like, a more niche gaming console would still have a hard time taking off, but because, yeah, like, like people just, like, 
you know, buy tons of things on Amazon or they buy from other online stores. In a way, I think yeah, it would be a little easier, but but still, it's it was a different time back then. These days, I mean, yeah, you have far more games that you can access, you know, more easily competing for your attention. We live in a completely different jungle compared to how it was, you know, back in those days. Some ways it's better, some ways it's a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. We talked in the beginning, we briefly mentioned the ill-fated uh, Philips CDI, which <laughs> unlike the, the 3DO and the CDI were similar in the sense that they did kind of play up back, I mean, back when it was a novelty to be able to play a CD. yeah. Uh, I mean, nobody really, I don't think people were buying, I mean, nobody bought the CDI because it had terrible games, but I don't think people were buying the 3DO because they wanted, you know, a $700 Walkman. Uh, (laughs) Walkman? That thing thing was heavy. I mean, that thing was still heavy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, but it's just funny to see a company like Panasonic and, you know, the, the juggernauts in... In 1993, you have Nintendo, Sega's on the rise. They're really kind of peaking at that point with the Genesis. Yeah. And then Atari's essentially toast. They try to, they put out the Jaguar, I think, a year later, and that bombs. But, um, and then there was its portable counterpart, the Lynx. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who swear by the Jaguar. I, I don't have one. And, there, the the I, know, I, I never played it no <laughs> yeah the controller is too off-putting to me i think it's it's got like 100 buttons uh it really does have like 20 <laughs> buttons but um the 3do unfortunately speaking of buttons the 3do especially with some of its flying games which are really good especially for the era like wing commander and star control 2 and there's a couple others but you have that controller that has three buttons, and I think it has an L and an R, and then uh, just that that D pad, which was weird. Yeah, like, I it remember really this, was. Like, I remember this racing game called Crash and Burn. Oh yeah, that was packaged. Um, uh, that was the bundle. Yeah, game. I, I I I liked it. I remember. Um, yeah, because it just had these like little like barks here and there that were pretty amusing. Like, I remember, like, one of, like, the racers, like, it was something that was, like, it was, I forget what it was exactly, but it was something, like, eat my treads octane breath, and, like, it was just pretty funny, um, and then it had a pretty sick soundtrack, too, and, yeah, like, I remember, like, the D-pad was kind of weird to control, but, um, Crash and Burn was still a pretty fun game that, like, was, relied yeah. a lot on the D-pad, um, the other game member, yeah, that came with the 3DO was this like living pinball game called oh, Patonk. Yeah, uh, I, I dug. I don't know. I dug it. Like I thought it was pretty cool. How it's got a lot of character. Yeah, like you, you're basically like following. Like yeah, like because I remember like playing a lot of um. Oh God, I can't. Um, was it Tristan? Was the developer? It was Tristan, or it was like some other dev that made a ton of pinball games for the Mac in the 90s like there was like angel egg crystal caliburn um yeah there were these pretty like epic uh pinball games and yeah like they were they were like fun to play for a bit a little awkward to control on your standard um computer keyboard yeah but, um i remember though playing batonk on the 3do and and i thought that that was really cool because it was like you actually got to see where the actual like pinball thing went 
and you would follow it, yeah, like on this whole adventure, like taking it like through tunnels um, and trying to, you know, and then so it's like you're not like looking at this like top down, um, you know, this like this top down visual of like the whole pinball machine. Like you're actually like looking specifically at like certain things that you're trying to hit. Like I remember like they had like there's three distinct themes that I recall. There may have been more. There was the whole tunnel of love one where it was all like about love and sex. And then there was uh, the, 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 the beach one about like, yeah, catching waves. There was like surf music playing. Then you tried to like, basically get all of, you know, flip all the dials to become the King Kahuna. And then there was the nuclear wasteland one. Wait, God, now that I settle that out loud, Oh well, this this sheds a lot of light on how I've lived my adult life. Uh, oh, love and sex, uh, washing up on the beach, nuclear wasteland. Oh, in that order too. Um, oh, wow, kind of revealing <laughs> something. Wow. <laughs> Glad that yeah, Patan could spark uh, so many <laughs> memories. Well, yeah, I have these philosophical waxings when I least expect it. Those are the three things I, I recall. There may have there may have been like one more, but those are the three that I remember playing. And that actually was a really cool, innovative kind of game. Um, yeah, that, that that like stray from the whole like traditional top down pinball kind of deal. Yeah. And, you know, and so yeah, I mean, it, it had that like it did have that like distinctly '90s game feel where it's like, hey, look at how cool and futuristic this is, and. Oh, or the curiously like slamming soundtrack to like drive go home, but it still holds up in my opinion. Like it's very still good. Is... Uh, yeah, very good 3D game. The one um, we talked about, Crash and Burn. Um, a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with the 3DO library would be surprised to learn that the very first Need for Speed was released on the 3DO, and those graphics are mm-hmm. Crash and Burn was a sort of bundled title, so it was one of the first, but. Um, Need for Speed, which was put out at a time when Electronic Arts was really trying to make the 3DO happen. Um, those graphics, I mean, you look at, like, the car racing in Need for Speed is not that much worse than, say, like, a Grand Theft Auto 3, which was a total game changer. I mean, and Patonk also, those 3D graphics in... Like 1994, so spectacular, especially when you consider that, like, the Sega Saturn, which came after, really kind of struggled at 3D, and yet the 3DO, sort of trailblazing in that, was was really, uh, I mean, the graphics on Patank, uh, there's obviously, like, a couple glitches, but really impressive game, and it's super old, it's really, uh, same age as my partner, which is, uh, (laughs) Weird, weird to think about, but uh, it's a. Uh, it, it remains a really impressive game. So does Crash and Burn. That's a fun one too. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I guess I've, I mean, I've always been more fond of two D graphics and three D, which is definitely showing my age there. <laughs> but well, as a, I mean, as a developer, though, um, just so from being on the other side of, you know, what's going on, what's going on in that whole game box there well but of course the reason why a lot of you know developers started moving towards 3d was 
not just because your know, technology was marching on. I mean, that was why everyone flocked to full motion video in the first place. If you had, yeah. if you had, you know, yeah, like the bodies and the dollars to do it, that was where you were going in the mid nineties. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I don't know, but 3d was also like the next logical step because it's like, Oh, Hey, we, we can still make, you know, this immersive world. But then if we just like build a couple models here and there, we rig them, we, move them around make them do things oh like it's it's so much cheaper to do this than yeah you know building green screens and hiring actors to make a full motion video game but also a lot faster and easier than a 2d animated game even though it's not going to be as pretty as that and so yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie i mean like about my contempt for a lot of late 90s early 2000s 3d graphics like there are so many yeah. games like from that era that just definitely like they, they may hold up like in terms of story or in terms of the gameplay. But yeah, like they didn't you know, but like a lot of studios have basically been like, well, hey, we're not going to make all these bespoke um, 2D assets that are just not going to be seen that often. And I think a lot of like indie developers like these days have like taken that to heart. Because, uh-huh. well, granted, we're, hey, we're more than likely working with our own money instead of a publisher's, and we have way less of that than a publisher does. And I'm not going to lie, I have definitely taken this approach with the game that I'm working on now, where, I mean, hey, look, I'm just, like, ripping all my backgrounds from Fotolia and beating them up in Canva a bit, because my development process is... Screw it! I want to get the game out, and if if my playtesters haven't really cared about um how the backgrounds look, all right, shows the show must go on. I'm putting all of my art budget into those close-ups, which people will be looking at, along with the character art, which people will be looking at. So it also becomes a matter too of where you want to prioritize your budget, where you have to prioritize your budget. You know, in the context of the type of game that you're making, you know, because I'm just thinking about how a lot of those, um, yeah, like early nineties adventure games, like, yeah, like so many of us love them. We look upon them fondly. They definitely made, made me want to pursue this career path. That was definitely what put this dream in me to make games. But then I look at it from someone who's actually made them now has put a lot of my own money into game dev and, and then I think, like, wow, like, I, it would be nice if I could just, yeah, have this, like, massive art and sound budget to work with so I could have this whole monster, this whole behemoth of bespoke yeah. assets you only see once or twice. And, but alas, uh, reality, reality bites. And, uh, yeah. Always does. And so, you know, it's, that was how, that was how we got all these, like, hideous, 3D games that, like, have these, you know, very, like, plastic-looking backgrounds and these character models that kind of flop around, like, rag dolls, and then, yeah, then when art department is, like, really not given a whole lot to work with, like, have you ever, like, seen or or played um, Right to Hell Retribution, like... I have not. It's so, like, it is so, like, the most, like, wooden or plastic like sex scenes ever in video game history i mean like this character model is basically like it's like a very twisted weekend at bernie's okay that's 
Wow. That's my most accurate descriptor for it. This dude moves less than a veal calf on Valium. And this one model is just kind of flopping around on him like, like a fish out of water. And I forgot where I was going with this. I don't really like a lot of 3D rigging. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I just, I respect, you know, the people who've had to learn that skill. But I do not like working with 3D. I just think it's usually always got this, like, even if, like, you're really good at it, even if, even I know 3D's come a long way, it, I don't know. There's still something to it that just makes me think of, yeah, that very, like, plasticky kind of look. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot where exactly it's I was going, but. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you, um, it, well, that we're talking about the 3DO and the awkwardness of 3D because we're living right now in this era of, like, a 2D renaissance with, all of the indie games that look like they could have been on Super Nintendo cartridges. Yeah. And they have these or, beautiful graphics. Or, or um, Mac and, Mac and Dawson VGA in 1992. Yeah. A lot of us really, really love that style. It's just so... And, and with the success of the Super Nintendo Classic, the Nintendo Classic, when the, when the PlayStation Classic came out at the end of last year, one of the big questions was, you know, is there nostalgia for the first generation of 3d and the system didn't answer that question because it sucked and it had a bad <laughs> library but um unless um, like the playstation classic is something where sony said okay here are 20 games on it i know it's not much but we didn't put any security system so if you want to go put your own roms have have at it like it was just ridiculous looking at that thing um i think it was hacked like two days later yeah i i didn't um, i didn't use a playstation yeah growing up or i don't remember having one either like by the time i was college age then then living on my own um that was my very first system and then uh the original playstation i just remember going crazy once i was 20 and then i bought my very first pc laptop after growing up in a mac household and then being very like disillusioned with macery by the time that um you know, OS X had come about, and um, that's interesting. And I don't, I don't know. That's the, that's the thing. Like, there is still such a big place in my heart for Mac System Seven and System Eight. But then after like OS X, I was very turned off, and then I just went completely batshit once I got a PC laptop and was like, "Oh my god, all those DOS games I couldn't have growing up, and they're all here on Home of the Underdogs." Yes, and. And then I went totally crazy, <laughs> just like playing all these old DOS games that I couldn't have back then because I didn't have the right compatibility. <laughs> and it's funny about how big a deal that was growing up. Like you, you, you said earlier about how at your school nobody had a 3DO. Yeah. I mean, you people have these just lunchroom fights over Sony versus Sega versus Nintendo, and then you know naturally you'd have your. Uh, uh, you know, your your 3DO people and God help the one person who got stuck with the CDI, which <laughs> was uh, based probably, I think it was, it, it launched at like 600. So uh, you could buy that and then play the worst Zelda game ever made. <laughs> yes. Yeah, even, yeah, even licensing Zelda couldn't save the CDI. 
it was that bad. No, it's, it's awful. It's, it's so bad, I don't even want a retro console. But I've looked at the prices. They're not even that bad. I won't buy one, though. <laughs> but, yeah, but I just remember how, yeah, um, I never saw, like, say, say like, when you're watching. Because remember, again, when Saturday morning cartoons was also, like, a big thing, you know, back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And oh, 90s. Yeah. Like, I remember whenever I would see, like, TV commercials for games, there was never anything, though, for computer games, at least not that I really recall. No, every, that's true, um, yeah. every, uh, no, that's the thing. Every single, like, game commercial was always for something for, uh, the gen, for, you know, the Sega Genesis or for the Super Nintendo. I don't recall ever seeing anything for computer games. That's the thing. I, I still remember really feeling that's like that, that splintering didn't really become more palpable till I was older, but I still remember. Yeah, like hearing a little bit about like yo, back at school, someone would talk about like yeah, playing like playing Mario or Yoshi's Island. But then if I tried to yeah talk about like yeah, like Space Quest or Monkey Island or the or the totally obscure collection of shareware I just got on this month's MacWorld disc, no one had any idea what I was talking about. Like PC and Mac gaming, especially like was just they were just this whole other thing, like like of their own from what i recall um yeah whereas like that sounds like this it's that sounds like the script of an indie movie like the misunderstood early 90s nobody nobody plays the same uh mac games and then uh <laughs> yeah know. kind of um and I, 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 I honestly that's that's an indie film i would love to make someday <laughs> um I mean, look, I, I always wanted to go to school, like, for filmmaking, but then, you know, when when the time came, like, when I initially dropped to college back in, like, 2004, and then when I was, when I, when I, then when I went back, I was like, oh, I should get something where I'll always be able to find a job, so I got um, an accounting degree. Yeah, then 2008 happened. <laughs> so, oh, making yeah. up for a lot of lost, still making up for a lot of lost time in my 30s, you know, and, uh, I don't know. Filmmaking something I would love to dig into in some capacity someday, even if I'm just. You can make some great full motion video games. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. Seriously, I mean it. It's not a bad idea though. Like I, I think that like we have the yeah. technology for it nowadays. You know, just like write a good script. You know, get some talent. You know, get some really good acting talent. Um, someone who like knows how to. That could be someone it. who knows how to direct to doesn't well, i mean whether they play games or not, but someone who can direct and doesn't make games because you know they're they got like that discipline to focus on completely i don't know it's not a bad idea yeah. <laughs> but, um well the something the one area of the <laughs> the one area of the 3do that we haven't really talked about is for some reason or another the 3do despite not having a ton of co- compatibility with its mouse had a fair amount of point-and-click games, which you really don't see on home consoles very often. And there's something that I grew up loving, Putt-Putt and Freddy Fish and Pajama Sam. Those actually did get Wii releases for mm-hmm. some reason. Uh, but, well, I guess you could literally point-and-click with that. Well, yeah, like uh, I said, that, that gun controller was pretty good for that. Um, whether it was a shooting game... Oh, you could play Putt-Putt with the gun? Wow! Yeah, that pretty much, like, anything with the gun... Uh, and, um, cause I just forget yeah, that, that that controller was kind of awkward to handle. If you were going to do, yeah, like point and click kind of stuff, um, 
it was kind of difficult to like to navigate a cursor like around the screen and then you know like pinpoint the exact spot where you were going to you know tap the a button or what have you to do something whereas it was so much easier just to like hook up the gun instead and then you would shoot whatever you wanted like to shoot at um yeah, that, that's how I remember. That, that's how I, I seriously remember playing. Yeah, point and click games on the 3DO. You just yeah, you literally point and shot at things. That was just what you did. I never knew that. You know, that's a game changer. That the ability to play Pup Pup the cute little car with a gun. I don't know. Maybe ah, maybe boy. it kind of foretold where a lot of American culture was going to head. I think we have too many people. Try to play things they shouldn't be playing with real guns, but that is a whole other discussion. <laughs> yes. Um it it, it just uh, you oh know my the, God. the I just, 3DO graphics. Maybe the 3DO was like Maybe they were right about Night Trap. Yes! They were right about Night Trap! They were right about plumbers don't wear ties. Joe Lieberman about, was like, right. No weird kinky shit with like sexual harassment and like your parents haranguing you just to go like meet someone and go have kids and that's basically what the whole plot of that game was um all the the 3do was trying to warn us 3do was trying to warn us of like the batshit world we were about to inherit and the apocalypse that was going to come about like 20 23 years later after it got released the 3do tried to warn us and tried to warn us of what what was going to happen when we flew too close to the sun, when and we didn't, we didn't listen. No, as a country, at least we've we've clearly listened. But <laughs> no, the 3DO I think was the harbinger of the goddamn apocalypse. I mean, yeah. I mean, my God, and some of their library. I mean, my God, like I just had that whole revelation thinking about Patonk and how I'm like, oh wow, that is that's basically like what like. Yeah, flashing my whole 20s and 30s before my eyes. Oh, it's all love and sex, then washing up on a beach somewhere. Oh, and then look, everything's a nuclear wasteland. Oh, that's... God, I, why do I relate to that so much? Uh, like, one year out from turning 35. Wow. Where the hell did my life go? <laughs> like... <laughs> It's great that, you know, I, I really, I've loved hearing about your stories growing up with the 3DO because that's, that's just a perspective that, I mean, just, just the very nature of legacy with regard to video games, something that fascinates me because it's so subjective oh, yeah. and it's so difficult to look at the 3DO's library and if if all you're going to do is compare it to the PlayStation 1 or the Super Nintendo or pretty much anything it stacks up kind of well against the Sega CD but if you're if you're if you're just going to try and contextualize it within a generation you're never going to get the full story because well, yeah, just like how it's like entertaining you had to watch like you know yeah like the angry video game nerd or like you know lazy game reviews and like these other channels like yeah look at these um old consoles and like maybe some of the more obscure titles out there like yeah like it's one thing to like yeah be entertained like watching that but like it was way different like yeah having that context for growing up with it like because like for instance yeah like when i've watched a lot of stuff like on those channels i'm like oh yeah like i remember 
that era. I'm like, okay, this fits in with that era. But then it's one thing being like, oh, I remember having that game, you know, or oh, I actually remember when this came out. Like, it's very different having the lived experience and, yeah, having the context for that. Um, just like how, like, a lot of people, like, when, especially for a lot of developers, like, when we get asked, like, what made us want to get, like, want to get into the field, like, what were some of our formative experiences, you know, with gaming or with, you know, the art of making games. Because, like I said, like, back then, we just didn't really talk about this stuff a whole lot. And then as for game development being a career option, it wasn't really... It wasn't really, it was, it just wasn't discussed at all. It wasn't really presented as something you could actually do for a living, uh, you know, because the field was still very young. It was very small, um, still is very small relative to other industries. This is a big business, but a very tiny industry. Um, and it's just that back then, though, there was not really any talk of how you got into the field. It just never came up. You know, it wasn't something that was really, presented to me or to anyone for that matter of something you could actually do for a living um yeah it's interesting because um you know i i obviously don't have you know kids so maybe i don't know what i'm talking about but i just remember growing up the perspective of video games being something that you were supposed to age out of um i remember that too like yeah I remember that coming up. You don't hear it that much anymore. I, I mean, I still hear that sentiment a little bit, depending on like who uh-huh. I'm around. I mean, since so here's the thing. So I said so with all this talk of contextualizing these things. Well, because like, so like, I mean, I said something. There was a time of my life like where I didn't really have anyone else in my life who really like took games as seriously as me. Um, and Andor was pursuing a career in it. Not until I met um, the guy who was going to become my business partner for a long time. Um, and so that's the thing. So, I mean, yeah, like I knew like other people like in the punk and hardcore scene who like, yeah, they may have had like an Xbox at home, but I couldn't talk about like, you know, the quirky indie adventure game I just downloaded and the amazing story it had and like the inventory puzzles. And like, I couldn't like geek out about that stuff because they would have no idea what I was talking about. Like, I would just say, like, hey, guys, come on. This is, like, the equivalent of trying to explain, like, our music to people who only listen to Top 40. And, you know, then they got they got the reference. But it was still, like, yeah, disheartening not really having anyone else in my life to talk about this stuff with. And then, whereas, like, the hourglass completely flipped because I don't really talk to many people from my old life anymore, just the way the chips fell and then the scene, then the punk scene up up here really like died out when corporatized gentrification like ruined this whole fucking city, um, and uh, <laughs> we don't really have a lot of places to go anymore. And now, now I'm like nowadays I'm mostly surrounded by yeah other like other freaking like weirdos who who make things, and it's that's awesome. Like you know, I I'm surrounded by other game devs and other like you know crazy socialists who just want to make art and you know it's pretty awesome and um so like we that's the thing so the people like who i'm surrounded by now like we talk about games like all the damn time and and then that and there's a good and bad in that because like because like yeah it's something i'm really passionate about something i really care about but there are like some times here and there i do kind of like yeah miss 
be like, all right, I'm just like a hardcore show and I'm not going to talk about games for a pit now. And it's a different context <laughs> when I was like starving for people to talk, to talk about my weird, obscure um, indie games and yeah, and, and like these like, yeah, full motion video games from the 90s and playing a 3DO when they were $20 a pop at an odd job, you know, like I didn't really have anyone to talk about this stuff with. And nowadays, because I'm a full fledged part of the industry, I talk about games all the time. It's got, yeah, it's got a blessing and a curse in that context. But with all that said, um, aside from, yeah, like games being presented as something you like age out of or, um, there was also the whole context of, yeah, like not having um, games as a career really being presented as an option. Um, so with that said, like there's those two th- aspects, but then there's also just the fact that like so many people like, like my, like around my age plus minus 10 years or so, um, we all have, yeah, like these like different stories of how we got here, different things that influenced us. Like, yeah, like a lot of my peers, um, you know, like at the different like game dev collectives I patronize here in New York, um, you know, the people who I meet at conferences and on Twitter, like, yeah, like there's so many, so many of them, yeah, have stories of growing up, yeah, like playing, you know, Nintendo and Sega Genesis games. And then, then there's like me and my uh, point, point and then point and click adventure game click where, oh. um, yeah, like, that's how we got into it. And so then I, I guess like compared to a lot of my peers, like, the point and click adventures aside, like, yeah, I guess I kind of had a more subcultural approach, if that makes any sense, just because, yeah, like, I remember yep. getting those, like, Ziploc bags full of floppy disks. I remember getting, yeah, like, instead of punk comps, it was um, the Mackerel disk or the Kitsov disk and being like, oh, I can't wait to see what's going to be on the disc this month. And that was how I would find out about some completely obscure game. If I talk about it now, no one has any idea what it is. They still don't. <laughs> um, and yeah, but then there's some people, yeah, where they grew up, you know, yeah, playing like the huge blockbusters. And it's, no, like, both paths are totally valid. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. It's just like so... Um, interesting to me how so many people chose a games career whether they got in the more obscure way like I did or they're like hey I I got lost in you know those you know those 16-bit worlds and I wanted to make my own too <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you think they'll uh you think they'll ever release a 3DO classic <laughs> I don't think so I think that Panasonic was like no we've really. washed our hands of this I I I hope that those games are still being preserved in some capacity, um, you know, because. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm involved with a lot of, uh, I guess, Discord servers full of retro gamers. And I mean, the one that everybody still just loves beyond all else is the Dreamcast. Yeah. Um, Gen- Genesis gets a lot of love. Uh, GameCube actually also a bit newer, but. Um, that's one that people seem to have a ton of uh, nostalgia for. You don't like PlayStation one and PlayStation two killed everybody else in terms of sales. Like it wasn't even close. It just, and yet, and yet in terms of legacy, you'd probably have so many more people who have all the fond memories of Mario Kart and super smash brothers and, or, or, or the Genesis with mortal Kombat and that kind of stuff. Uh, 
it, it's just so fascinating to see. And obviously, you know, there's clearly probably tons of other subcultures that I have no idea about that love uh, all sorts of systems. But the 3DO, it's 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 one that I was especially eager to do an episode on because I I don't see a ton of love for it. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, because like I said, it had, I mean, it did have its good points. Like, a lot of people just mostly remember it yeah, as being this, like, really, you know, like, this basically is really high-profile failure compared to, like, other, you know, consoles. Because, yeah, because, like, you had, like, yeah, like, like the, um, the, yeah, the Jaguar and the Lynx, like, the CDI. Like, yeah, like, those are failures, but, like, none of them seem to, like, yeah, be as, like, spectacular as the 3DO because Panasonic really pumped it up to be this like next huge thing that was going to completely yep. change oh the way that you know all the uh console developers are gonna like use technology like oh we're gonna like beat out like all the other um big players because there was a lot of hubris in its yeah in its advertising um but then it turned out like nobody wanted to like dump that much money on a 3DO. Well, yeah. Um, that, and that's, that, that was the killer. Right like, the between dumping so much money on the console, a console that most people hadn't even heard of, and then, um, and I said, I keep on them buying the actual content is not like it is, you know, nowadays, like where you just go on Steam and you buy a bunch of games or like you get, um, you can support the developers straight on their website if you want to get, you know, CD versions there's um, so many different options that you have, like online and in a physical store. You had to go to a physical store back then. Um, it was just not, you know, the same as it is, you know, these days in that regard. Right. And so, and so, you would go to a physical store, and like, if you go to like you know, a very like large retailer, yeah, you know, like Walmart or um, or whatever, like they were just not going to have anything in 3DO, or if they did. It would probably be maybe like two to three titles tops. Ditto for going even to a specialty store like Electronics Boutique or Babbage's. <coughs> 3DO was still like seeing as something that like retailers just didn't want to spend, um, you know, a lot of um, their money on either. Shelf you know, they, they, they just yeah. they wanted to go for like, you know, the short thing. They're like, oh, well, like, especially like when, you know, the, hol- the holidays come around. That's like when they make the most money. They're like. No one's gonna be like putting like a 3DO game under the Christmas tree or out <laughs> or out on the Hanukkah table. We had a Hanukkah table growing uh-huh. up. <laughs> did you have did you have 3DO games on your table. Hanukkah table? I, I don't think so. See, even even for the Hanukkah table or the Hanukkah or the Wait. Hanukkah bush, we we didn't. No one wanted a 3DO game for that. No. I remember, <laughs> I remember getting, um, I think it was the third Monkey Island game. That was on, that was a good Hanukkah table year. <laughs> I remember getting with like, the third Monkey Island game on the Hanukkah table. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I got, um, I got PlayStation and N64, uh, on back-to-back Christmases because only my best friend's mom convinced he uh, convinced her to get the PlayStation, and then every one of my other friends had a Nintendo sixty four, basically. So <laughs> I wanted to play. Mar- I wanted to play Mario, and I guess I don't. Uh, it, it it's just funny to think about how the three D O 
in 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 terms of especially if you look at how easily not easily but playstation just came in and took the whole business but it did so by pricing the system at a really reasonable price a hundred dollars cheaper than the saturn Mm -hmm. and the 3do said you know we have a premium product but boy are we gonna charge a premium price for it and if you're some parent whose kid is saying i want this system and you go to the store and you're looking at that or the Genesis or something. You say, oh, this one is half the price. Why would not more than less, less than half the price. Half the price. And you could actually find games for it, like going to a store. Because um, like I said, even, yeah. like, even like when you went to like a specialty retailer, it was just really difficult even finding games for it. And so, <clears throat> so that's the thing. So the only like stores that would actually buy 3do games um was at you had more of them selling 3do games after the 3do and i in a punny wordplay on one of its uh, bundle titles after 3do crashed and burned <laughs> um <laughs> after it crashed and burned I, I i swear i remember actually seeing more 3do games like in discount stores like yeah like odd job um tj maxx and so on um I do remember that because yeah. I remember I, me- yeah. I remember finding like Oregon Trail two at like, TJ Maxx like for five dollars like in nineteen ninety eight, um, and a nice like wooden box and everything too. Like I said, there's a lot of crap, wow. in, a lot of crap in those stores, but also some pretty good treasure. Um, and so I remember, yeah, like we, um, my dad and I would just like go, yeah, to like all of, like yeah, we would just we would just go this to like the strip mall like in 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 Jersey and just. Yeah, go get like all the really cheap games that like like um they got like that was in the, the electronics pile like a TJ Maxx and the like um and so that's the thing I remember yeah like more like discount and like off off price um stores carrying 3DO games than actual like big box and like um specialty retail sold like during like the height of the 3DO. Um, it, yeah, yeah, it was freaking impossible, like, to find anything for it then, like, or you, say, or you would only find maybe, like, the same, like, three titles, which would usually be, um, like, Wolfenstein, um, uh-huh. and then Twisted, and then I think some, like, PGA Golf thing, like, who the hell wants that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and a couple of those. Even Neo Geo has a couple oh, golf my games, God. which I find bizarre. There should be, yeah. like... Like a YouTube channel. Oh my god! I just got the greatest idea because I just remember like golf always being like such a boring letdown for everything. Like every single like when I was like growing up, like I remember like whenever like all the Saturday morning cartoons ended, golf was always like you knew that the fun was over once a golf yeah. game came on TV. So like mm-hmm. a golf game would come on TV. Um. The things that were always the cheapest in the bargain bin were golf games. Like, I don't yep. think... I think you had to be, like, a sucker to pay full price for a golf game on any platform, whether it was Mac, PC... Even Mario Golf is not that great. And, I don't know, I think there's, I think we should start a YouTube channel where just, like, playing death metal over golf games and making incendiary commentary... I have a uh, golf game for the 32X. They put out 40 games, a few of which are so expensive that I no one should pay money for them. And 
That golf game, I think I probably Just bought like, it used for like $3. Play some arch enemy over um, a golf game. and Wow. I saw them at, at the very first Ozfest I went to, Arch Enemy. Yes. That would have been 07, 07 I think. Wow. I, my, now, my, now my dad will be pleased with the podcast. I got Odd Job for my mom and uh, Death Metal for my dad. Death Metal over um, shitty old uh, golf games for yeah, Jack, platforms. Seeing pixelated Jack Nicklaus just uh, swing low. <laughs> PGA like, Tournament 1996. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you know, speaking like, of sports games, though, um, just get some like, just just like set that to some behemoth, and just like make this like riff track style commentary over everything happening in the God. game. Someone, someone, give me a Patreon to do this. Wow. <laughs> I will, I will like quit whatever like consulting gig I'm currently on and just do that. Yeah, if someone like gave me enough money to do that, yeah, I, I would. That's a that's a wide open market for you, right there. The, the, the satirical golf golf fund. It deserves it though. I mean, of all like the stupid genres, there's this game for Neo Geo called uh, Windjammers, which is basically like high-tech volleyball essentially it's so stupid but it's <laughs> I, it, it it's kind of like pong i guess you're just like charging up a guy and you're on like a beach just throwing a disc back and forth it's idiotic <laughs> but it's it's like it's weirdly addicting it's weirdly it's like one of those games you could just sit there and play for hours on end and yeah so we've covered there's just so much to talk about the 3do but um We'll probably have to uh, save that for a different time as the podcast is gone quite a while. But <laughs> it was such a such a treat to have Rachel on because she brings she brings a perspective to the 3DO you really can't look up online, or it would be very difficult to. It's just such a such a treat to hear all of the firsthand experience with it. That it was one of those things you had to be there for. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it sounds like it. So. Uh, it was so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about all of the various uh, 3DO-related technology and places to get it. It's great. We mentioned Oddjob. Do you want to tell us again where we can find you? <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me um, yeah, on Twitter um, at um, NYHCMaven84 or just look up uh, Toad Mama, Toad Mommy. That's usually what I'm under some variation of. And then you got, I also got I also got a website, um, SonicToad.com. Awesome. Uh, well, I'll be sure to include all of that in the links to the episode. Thank you so much for coming on. And to everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed our trip down uh, video game console lane. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.